Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Okay, I'm an adult. I'm going to talk about adult things. Like pus. <laughs> like pus. <laughs> this podcast may contain adult themes, strong language, and stupid health advice. Listener discretion is advised. <laughs> Welcome back to In Bad Taste, where we cast a critical eye over health documentaries and the claims they make. I'm your really still reluctant host, registered nutritionist Pixie Turner. And I'm cardiothoracic surgeon Dr. Nikki Stamp, and I still hate this film. Um, I've, I've really been having one of these, like, why are we doing this moments after watching this film? Uh, because it's so inaccurate and such a mess that I really struggled to watch to watch the whole thing. At one point I was like seconds away from texting Pixie and being like, no, nah, I'm out. I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> yeah. Let's just be clear. We are not watching what the health for fun because sitting through this is tantamount to torture. Mm-hmm. This is the bad place, but because we're watching these atrocities, you don't have to. This is kind of the point. We don't want you to watch this one. It's not worth it. Your life expectancy will drop. Your blood pressure will increase. We cannot be responsible for that, which is why we're taking on the burden for you. (laughs) Yeah. Do you know what? I wish I could go back in time and not watch, well, pretty much all of these films. But that ship has sailed. I'm all about doing uh, what's right for the greater good. Um, And this week we're going to chat about dairy because Whilst dairy is an important part of many people's diet and with good reason, oh my God, milk is tasty, cheese is tasty, yogurt is tasty, what the health team have really got their knickers in a knot when it comes to milk and we are not here for this. We are not on board with the milk hating. Yeah, I mean, they opened this whole section on dairy with a quote that dairy is one of the single best foods at compromising health. And I'm just, at this point, I was just like, fuck off. I mean, basically, their entire premise for this is that animal foods equals bad, processing equals bad, so cheese equals animal plus process, which equals really bad. That's the extent of the science we're talking about here. Yeah, it's it, it, you would, it wouldn't even expect an eight-year-old to fall into the trap of making that argument, really. It's it's just awful. And, and we have to continue with the obsession 
with animal products and cancer because one of the biggest claims that they make and they try to hammer home and I kept tuning in and out of because I was bored and irritated was that milk and dairy products cause cancer and specifically they name breast and prostate cancer. And we've heard this claim before. Uh, I think it was in Fed Up. They say that there is an association with prostate cancer. Now let's look at these things differently. Just to reiterate, cancer is dozens, maybe even hundreds of different diseases. There are different risk factors and different causes for all different types of cancers. So prostate cancer obviously only occurs in men. So prostate cancer, most important risk factor for prostate cancer is age. Um, There is a small association with dairy consumption with prostate cancer. The risk ranges from 1.09 to 1.7. That's tiny. That's tiny because the lifetime risk of prostate cancer for men is about 11%, which is kind of up there, but the lifetime risk of dying from it is 1%. That is very, very small. What that means is that we're very good at treating prostate cancer. Breast cancer though, and they they did actually list the study that they cited on this where they said that dairy dairy consumption basically, you know, makes it worse for women who have been treated for, for, for breast cancer. The study that they cite looks at low-fat dairy, high-fat dairy and all-cause mortality, and low-fat dairy had absolutely no association with an increased risk of death due to breast cancer. High-fat dairy had a very weak association with all-cause mortality. All-cause mortality means that if someone gets diagnosed with breast cancer, and they die of breast cancer, they die of being hit by a bus, they die of a heart attack, they die of an allergic reaction. All of those things get counted as a death. We don't sort of tease out what they actually died of. So the the strength of association and thereby the, the strength of this claim really isn't there. So I think that I think that what they've said here is is really sort of it's reaching a little bit. We know that there are some dietary patterns that can, you know, increase or decrease your risk of certain types of cancers. But I think I, I found this I found this section a little bit uncomfortable to watch because I felt like if I was someone who had breast cancer or prostate cancer, you know, dairy is a big part of a lot of people's diet and has been since they were small. You know, I would feel really uncomfortable. It felt a bit blamey to me and I, I, I didn't really like that, oh, apart from being inaccurate. Yeah, I didn't really like that either. I felt that the way these people were talking about con- about cancer, about cancer, I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! <laughs> um, yeah, so the way that this guy was talking about cancer, it really made me think he just does not understand it. He really doesn't. They they make this claim that vegan blood kills cancer cells. You know what else does? A shotgun. Still not a good <laughs> idea. Please don't shoot your cancer. Oh, God. I can't believe I'm saying this. Please don't shoot your tumour. No, no. Um, no, no, don't do that. But, you know... Oh, I just, it's just such an oversimplification. And and yeah, there were so many points in this film where I thought, whether it be the experts, so-called experts, or Kip himself, the way they were discussing things, it just, it just really illustrated how little they understand about basic biology, 
basic science and you know I just I just wish people would understand that if these people can't even differentiate between you know different types of cancer or saturated versus unsaturated fats why are we listening to them in the first place I just I just don't get it Remember how two episodes ago I was saying how a running theme in this whole documentary is the fact that he goes to like talk to receptionists and poor people on phones mm. and get angry about why they why they aren't shouting about this from the rooftops. Mm. We're doing this again. He goes to a cancer charity mm. and apparently he's angry about the fact that they don't have a giant fucking banner on their website when you click on it that says milk causes cancer. So he went to their building to harass mm. them. These are people who work for a breast cancer charity. Kip, what the fuck is your problem? This is not something a sane human being does. No. Just goes up to a building just to harass some people who are trying to raise money for for a cancer charity. Like, no, don't do that. And then to make things even worse, we interview a holistic nutritionist, which by the way, is not a real thing, (laughs) who says how... She got thyroid cancer and said no to surgery. Instead, she went vegan and now her tumor shrunk and she doesn't need surgery and she's cured. <sighs> Look, we laugh and joke and, and like get angry about a lot of things in general. But for on a really serious note, this is such a dangerous message. I cannot emphasize enough how dangerous it is to give people like this a platform, to give Mm. this false hope to other people that they don't actually need to have thyroid surgery. You just need to go vegan and boom, your cancer is gone. It doesn't work that way. There is no plausible mechanism by which this is a thing. There is no chance that it was the veganism that did something magical here. It would listen, I would love it. I would love it if food actually did that. It would be amazing. Can you imagine how incredible that would be? But yes. it 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 just doesn't. My entire job is food. I would love for this to be a true thing, but seriously, it's not. It's just not. And to put this message out there is so, so dangerous and so wrong. And it's just so infuriating and disappointing that we keep seeing this kind of narrative over and over, especially when they can make they could make some really good points about veganism, but no. Mm. Instead, we get you can cure your thyroid cancer if you just stop drinking milk. No, that's not how it works. <sighs> yeah, and I also don't understand why maybe all these films i think pretty much all of them that we've looked at so far have dipped into the cancer narrative like cancer is such a um it's it's so ripe for this kind of misinformation yeah uh, and i think that you know they're really preying they're preying on people's fears and they're preying on people's hopes uh, and and it is a it, it's a really recurrent theme in all of these films and and if you listen to our episodes on Gerson where we talk a lot about diet and cancer you know specifically about a you know essentially very very strict vegan diet and cancer um, and butt coffee that you know we <laughs> that why this is really dangerous you know let's not beat around the bush here this is not this is not a joke this is not funny even though as we've said we make fun of of these films sometimes 
the risk is of following some of their advice, particularly the more extreme forms of their advice, it's not zero and and it can be deadly. It can be very, very devastating for people. So no, 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 no. Just leave cancer alone, Kip. Leave it alone. Uh, we we've also we've also got dairy. I mean, dairy really is blamed for a lot of things. Dairy and saturated fat. And when they're saying that you know dairy, the claim that dairy is where most people get their saturated fatty acids from, or saturated fats, I should say. And literally a few minutes earlier, someone else made the claim that chicken was where they got all their saturated fat from, where we all get our our fats from in our diet. And I'm like, Jesus, guys, make up your damn minds. Which one is it? Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert, it's neither. Most of the saturated fat we get in our diets is from things like pizzas, burgers, those kinds of pastry type dishes, you know, meats, etc. It's not from dairy. It's it's not it's not from eggs. Sorry to be a party pooper, but not sorry. Mm-hmm. Okay. Dairy and saturated fat. Let's have this conversation. Do this. Do this. Because it is actually a bit more nuanced and complex than this documentary makes it out to be. Shock horror, my goodness. Can you imagine that they're not going into the nuance? What? Mm -hmm. Total surprise. Anyway, (laughs) look, we know from decades and decades of research and loads of different kinds of studies, everything from epidemiology to metabolic ward studies, showing that a pattern of eating that is high in saturated fat does increase your risk of heart disease. Mm-hmm. And we've even gone to the point where you could probably reasonably argue that there is a causal relationship between the two. However, it is really important to point out that saturated fat is not a monolith. Just like, for example, cancer is not just one thing. There are lots of different variations, let's say, for lack of a better term. With saturated fat also, there are lots of different lengths of the various fatty acids. So you can get ones that are, you know, a little bit shorter, ones that are a little bit longer. You know, how long is a piece of string? Lots of different variations you can have. And these different lengths have different impacts on the body. And this is why it is important to do research on foods, not simply just on nutrients, because we eat food, not nutrients. And what is really interesting about dairy in particular is that we see that the saturated fats that are found in milk, yogurt, and cheese do not have a negative impact on someone's risk of heart disease. They actually potentially even have a slightly positive impact. But to be on the safe side, I generally stick to kind of it's mostly neutral. And Mm. that is great news. And butter is different. Butter does have a negative impact on someone's risk of heart disease if you consume loads of it. And this is generally why, you know, we say maybe don't have too much butter, don't have too much red meat, and these kind of obvious sources of saturated fat, not too much coconut oil either, by the way. But <laughs> cheese, yogurt, and milk, slightly different. And there are two main reasons for this. It's essentially the fact that the milk protein is in a very specific configuration that means it doesn't have that same impact in the body. And also these are foods that are high in calcium. Butter, not so much a brilliant source of calcium, but yogurt, cheese, and milk, really good source of calcium. And it's those two factors together that mean that these saturated fats have a different impact on the body than the saturated fats that are found in butter, for example, or in red meat or in coconut oil. And this is why I thought I find this so interesting. And this is just one of many reasons why it is important when we look at research that we look at it in terms of food, not simply in terms of nutrients, because we eat food, not nutrients. 
But this is not like hugely new. If all of these doctors, just like with the eggs, if they actually looked at the research properly rather than simply following everything that fits with their you know, pre-existing worldview, they would have realized that just like with eggs, the research has progressed and we have looked at it in a more nuanced way. And it's reasonably fair to say that milk, cheese and yogurt are perfectly fine they, in terms of heart disease, perfectly mm -hmm. fine, which is great news for someone like me who absolutely loves cheese. Mm -hmm. yep. Wonderful news. I can eat all the cheese without having to worry about my risk of heart disease. Wonderful. Yay. Good stuff. <laughs> Go cheese. Yeah, absolutely. I, I you know, agree. I think that, yeah, I think milk, that sort of idea that, you know, milk is a throwback or milk has sort of been doing this, feels like it's been doing, or dairy, I should say, has been doing the same rounds as it feels like eggs have been doing, where they've sort of come in and out of favour. And and as you say, you know, very eloquently, the, the research is suggesting that dairy's dairy's probably okay. It's certainly not. It's not the the, the big scary thing that it's, it's made out to be. Yeah, but specifically cheese milk and yogurt yeah you should just think of butter as like its own little you know outcast it's like the cousin you don't want to talk to uh, <laughs> <laughs> i think we all have one of those don't we yeah no comment <laughs> <laughs> Of course, though, they don't stop there with the, the blaming of dairy. Uh, you know, dairy gets blamed for autoimmune disease, uh, asthma, mucus production, Crohn's disease, which I, I really took issue with because there is literally no, um, and they specifically talk about as well with type 1 diabetes, but with type 1 diabetes, there's no specific dietary pattern that has been shown to be an, a, a risk for, for people developing type 1 diabetes. But again, with these these kinds of illnesses, these autoimmune illnesses, that's not where they're starting. It's such a gross oversimplification. A lot of them start from a very strong genetic base. It's really, it's very unhelpful. I think they also blame acne. We blame, we blame acne, dairy and acne, I think is, is another oh. thing that cops a, cops a bit of a blame from dairy, which I also think, you, I hear that a lot, actually. I've heard that a lot, a yeah. lot. Um, and I think this is a really nuanced, difficult question to answer but again I'm, I'm pretty sure the evidence really isn't there no I mean look neither of us are dermatologists but mm -hmm. this is why I highly recommend following and listening to Dr. Anjali Marto on social media particularly on Instagram and she is fantastic she is an incredible human being and mm -hmm. a wonderful wonderful consultant dermatologist in other words mm -hmm. an actual expert on this topic and she's told me that for the vast majority of people Dairy does not have a significant impact on acne. That's for the vast majority of people. There do seem to be a small percentage of the population where it does. But this does not mean that everyone should just go and cut out dairy to either treat or avoid acne. Because for the vast majority of people, it doesn't make a difference. Spoiler alert, I'm one of those people. I definitely... Back in the day, I tried cutting out dairy for acne and guess what? It did fuck all. You know what did make a difference? Going to see Anjali and her giving me some sweet, sweet drugs, which fixed my skin very quickly. It's amazing. <laughs> yes, exactly right. Uh, you know, oh, it's just one of these other just you know sweeping generalizations that that they make that is you know based on very flimsy evidence. And and you know, again, the the references that they list, I think, are just blog posts and YouTube videos in this kind of nonsense. I think the other disease that they they also sort of come at 
come at us with about about dairy is is this link with osteoporosis or, or thinning of the bones. And this one really annoyed me. This is one of the points when I was like, you guys really have no idea what you're talking about because they're talking about strong bones which yeah, and osteoporosis. So osteoporosis is thinning of the bones, which is particularly problematic in women, uh, postmenopausal women when your estrogen drops and it is uh, it is associated with an increased risk of broken bones particularly broken broken hips and and spinal fractures and you know it can be very debilitating even you know potentially contribute to shortening your lifespan so it's not good and one of the things that we're all told even from when we're small is that you need to to have dairy and and that will help you grow grow strong bones and the case study that they use to prove this point is they show a lady with osteoarthritis. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible Irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Osteoarthritis is not osteoporosis. Osteoarthritis is not anything to do with having strong bones and has absolutely no association with dairy or any other food for that matter. It is literally wear and tear on your joints. You can have all the dairy, you can have all the drugs in the world, you can have, you know, anything or, or conversely completely cut out dairy and it won't make a lick of difference because it's a completely different disease. And I was like, if you can't tell the difference between two completely different diseases what do you, why are you being such a pretend expert on everything else? You know what? They just probably saw, oh, they both have osteo in them. So it's probably the same. <laughs> but it's not. Dairy consumption is important for our bone health for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> How high pitch can I go? They showed this study on the screen briefly mm. that says in older women, Milk doesn't reduce risk of osteoporosis. I checked this out. I actually checked this out. Guess what? <laughs> it was on postmenopausal women. 
no shit, of course it didn't have an impact. You know what happens when you're postmenopausal? You lose around 1% of your bone density each year until you die. It is literally mm-hmm. just downhill. It's too late. You could down all the milk. You could consume all the calcium. It's not going to make a difference. It's too late to start drinking milk like it's water. You have to do that before you reach the end of menopause. Past that point, you're not going to lay down that bone mass. It's just not mm. going to happen. This mm. is, it's like, of course, but of of course, because Kip is, like you said, not the sharpest tool in the shed. He, and also doesn't really give a shit as long as these things actually support his arguments. He doesn't actually consider the fact that this is, duh, not a thing. And they also show this graph of dairy consumption plotted against rates of osteoporosis. Now, militant vegans really love this because it basically, what it what they think it shows is that the higher your milk consumption, the greater your risk of osteoporosis on a population level. Now, they a bunch of flags pop up on the screen at this point in this graph, and oh boy, they are really counting on us not recognizing these flags at all because yeah. right at the bottom, we have countries like Nigeria and Senegal, and at the top, we have countries like Iceland and Germany. Now, firstly, one thing is that uh, black populations generally have a higher prevalence of lactose intolerance, so that's mm-hmm. probably one reason why they're not consuming as much milk. Um, but a big confounding variable here is age. Mm. Now, places like Senegal don't exactly have a well-known aging population. Mm. Many reasons for that. But they don't exactly have an aging population. Places like Iceland, Finland, Germany. Yeah, they have an aging population. Lots of people getting a lot older. You know what happens when you get a lot of old people? You get a lot of osteoporosis because they're old. Not because they didn't, not because they drank milk. It's because they're old. Because of what I said literally just two minutes ago about menopause and also the fact that women tend to live longer than men. So really what this graph is showing is that in countries where people live longer generally and where there is an aging population, there are higher rates of osteoporosis. Wow. Wow. I'm so fucking impressed. Well done. We know this already. Yeah. And the link the link with dairy and osteoporosis is that dairy contains a lot of calcium, right? That's what we want. We need calcium and vitamin D and physical activity and sex hormones to make our bones strong. So if for some reason you can't can't drink milk or eat yogurt or whatever and you're planning on getting old, then we would recommend for some of these people for them to take a vitamin D and calcium supplement. Uh, so... We want people to have dairy because it's an easy way for them to get it. And as we've already discussed, dairy probably has some really you know, useful other nutritional benefits to, to our health. However, however, and I've heard this claim repeatedly, not just in this film, Kip wants us to know that we are, even if we're going to say throw caution to the wind and drink milk for our bones, that he wants us to know, I hope we know that we're actually drinking pus oh no oh no i've heard this a lot have you heard this a lot yeah i think people don't understand what pus is right pus pus is is like a collection of dead white blood cells that are being trying to fight an infection and usually bits of bacteria that happen during an infection and i think this idea that milk is pus is that you know inevitably when you get a milk 
any milk from any mammal, there will be some white blood cells in them. There's going to be there's going to be products from the the person or the the animal that you got it from, and those white blood cells will, will come out. They're completely benign. They're not actual pus. In fact, if there are, you know, this is why we have treatments for our our dairy products. We have pasteurization, for example, that you know gets out all of the things that are harmful, like bacteria, like pus. That that that's actually very safe for us to drink. Pus is not going to be in our milk. It is tested for that, for these sorts of specific reasons. Um, but the thing I like the most is is when um, they say like cheese is actually just coagulated pus. And I was like, meh, I don't care. It tastes delicious. Mm. Oh, but did you know that that's just because cheese is addictive, which is exactly <laughs> why when you go to the supermarket, you find the cheese next to the heroin. <laughs> I have to be honest, you know, um, that's what I do every night. I just um, I need to get my fix of cheese um, and then I just pass out quite happily in a little opiate coma. Yeah, because people are injecting cheese into their eyeballs apparently. That's a, that's a thing. <laughs> what, fu- what fucking planet are these people on? Well, but you know what I thought as well is why are people obsessed, why are wellness people obsessed with comparing everything to heroin? Like that's always, or cigarettes, it's either cigarettes or heroin. Like that's always their benchmark because cheese um, cheese contains casein as a protein and when it's broken down it creates something called caseomorphins, which are basically like heroin apparently. And they're not, they're so not. Like they have some, they have some sort of overlap that their chemical structure is different. So they might plug into the same receptors, but you're not going to be getting high off eating cheese like that is just not true there's a lot of research into these 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 chemical compounds and none of them are about the fact that you're off your face on cheese it's it's not a real thing no let me tell you I can eat a lot of cheese in one go and I've never felt high from cheese I really haven't yeah so you know milk is bad because it has pus and saturated fat and cholesterol and galactose and wait what they just randomly threw in galactose and then never mentioned what's actually wrong with galactose. I have no idea what's wrong with galactose. I mean, what is wrong with galactose? Nothing. Nothing. There's nothing wrong with galactose, but they throw it in as if it's like one of those bad things. It's like, well, wait, wait, what? Explain yourself. <laughs> yeah, back up. And they didn't. Instead, we just get Dr. Gregor questioning evolution because he says that a lot of the population is lactose intolerant. It doesn't make sense for humans to have evolved to be able to drink milk past infancy. And I'm like, dude, it's happened. It happened a while ago. There's nothing you could do to change that now. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. But the whole idea is that here, you know, that um, the government guidelines are very much focused on the population, the the large group of people who are not lactose intolerant, that is white people. And yeah, I think it's fair to say that government guidelines do tend to focus on white people. That's that's fair. But I would also say that generally our government guidelines also mention dairy alternatives in the same breath as dairy. Mm-hmm. So I don't really think mm-hmm. that's, a, that's so much a thing anymore. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I feel like to sort of round out this episode we we have to go into bat for someone who was valiantly trying to do his very best at sorting kip out someone who relented to the constant harassing 
And that is a bloke by the name of Dr. Robert Ratner, who was a physician at the American Diabetes Association, which is one of the many organizations that KIPP decided to harass repeatedly. And they somehow gave in. I'm going to guess that they regret that. Oh, I think they really regret it. Yeah. I mean, Kip says he finally hears from the American Diabetes Association. And from what I could see, it seems that in preparation for this interview, he basically looked at their website, Googled vegan diet cures diabetes, and then wrote like a few notes in a notebook about the studies that agree with him. He didn't even bother to like print them off and show them. He just like made a few notes in a notebook, which is not very helpful. Mm. Now, before I go into the actual content of this, just just notice how with every other doctor who appears in this documentary, these doctors are allowed to just say whatever it is they want to say. Then it's not really so much an interview. They just get given a fucking lectern and told, have at it, go have fun, say whatever you want to say. <laughs> because Kit agrees with them. That is why they're allowed mm-hmm. to say whatever they want. But with this guy, it's it's an interview. It's a two-way thing. He's going not, but not again, not really, because he's going in for an interrogation. He's not actually interested in a debate. It's very clear from the start that Kip is not actually super interested in hearing what this guy has to say. He knows exactly what he's doing. And he is just going in there to shit all over the floor and then say, there, Ratner, what do you say to that? And expect a nuanced response from that. You can't give a nuanced response to someone shitting on your floor after you've kindly invited them and after they've repeatedly harassed you for an interview. And so Mm. they start having this conversation and you can see the moment that the light goes out of Ratner's eyes. And I felt for him so much because Mm. I know exactly what that feels like. He suddenly realizes what he's got himself in for. He suddenly realizes that this guy is not actually interested in what I have to say. And he rightly goes, Mm -hmm. nah, I'm out. Fair. I know what that feels like. When someone comes at you saying, I did a Google and I found this one study that dot, dot, dot. No, I'm sorry. At that point, (laughs) I'm out because clearly you don't understand what the hell is going on here. And it's the same on social media. After a while, you start to figure out who's worth engaging with and who isn't. And this guy, Kip, gives all the red flags that very clearly say this guy isn't worth it. He's not going to listen. And you know what? Ratner is a very experienced researcher, physician. He's a very experienced professional. He 100% also knows at what point it's just not worth having a conversation with someone. Mm. And when Kip starts going, yeah, but I read this one study and flicks over his notebook onto like a page of handwritten notes. (laughs) Yeah, obviously, that's a sign that it's time to head out. And, you know, so they say, oh, who should we talk to about this? And he's like, anyone but me, anyone but me. (laughs) And I'm like, dude, I know what you feel like. I have 100% been there. I hear you. Yeah. I I I um I guess I have I have a problem with the fact that they put him up for this interview in the first place. Like the media people at the Diabetes Association should have should have flagged this as complete and utter trouble and and never let this interview go ahead. You know, there's a lot of times when Kip is like really aggressively getting at him, asking him what he thinks about diet. And because he is a sensible physician, he says, I'm not the person to ask about that. And he shouldn't be. He's a doctor, he's an endocrinologist 
factors too, especially as in the medical treatment of diabetes, not in the nutritional and dietetic management of diabetes. He was in the right, um, but they make it sound, they make it out by the way they've cut it and by the way, you know, Kip kind of reacts to him that he's he's getting defensive because he has something to hide when in actual fact he's just jacked off at kip and he's keeping within his scope of practice and i think those are all good things but i do think that the media people at the american diabetes association should never ever in a million years let him go for that interview because this is a classic example of you know that saying about arguing with a pigeon you know, you you might win, but the pigeon will just knock all the chess pieces over and strut around the board shitting on it like they won anyway. Like you'll mm. never win this kind of argument. You know, it is, as you say, you know, you need to recognise, and not everyone's good at doing this, I'm certainly not perfect at doing this either, you know, you need to recognise when you're engaging in futility and just, you know, bow out yeah. because you can potentially do more damage. Yeah, and also, I mean, if someone suddenly came up to me and said I read this one study that and started talking about it I wouldn't know how to respond to that either because I haven't read the study if they were actually interested in what he had to say they would have sent the studies in advance and asked him to take some time to prepare his comments for it that would have been the fair thing to do but how can he comment on a study that he potentially didn't even know existed or if he did he probably couldn't remember because there's so fucking many studies yeah but it's like I, I was like i can't comment because i haven't seen it that's what he says he says i can't comment on that study because i haven't read it and he's like well it, it's right here and like shows his handwritten notes your handwritten notes are not the same as the research paper kip they're really not and yeah i would react in exactly the same way because I don't trust the other person to have read the research properly. I would want to read it properly to look at not just the abstract to see if it agrees with me, but actually look at the methodology and look at the way they've interpreted the results and then look at the way they have expressed their discussion and conclusion and see whether it actually all fits together and whether it's actually well designed. That's how you do it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's a skill. It's not something that you, you know, you just flick through Google. This is not how you, how you do these things. I found that the discussion around dairy just to be, it's just drivel. Like there was no substance to it whatsoever. There was a lot of falsehoods. There was a lot of sort of fear mongering and so on and so forth. It it was, again, I'm going to say this repeatedly, I found it really hard to stay engaged with the discussion at hand because it was just such nonsense. Yeah. I mean, to sum up, according to them, dairy causes cancer, it causes heart disease, it causes autoimmune disease, it causes acne, and it causes osteoporosis, and it also causes autism. (laughs) Oh, yes, I forgot about that. Of course it does, yes. Yeah, which, by the way, Peter decided, as in the company Peter, P-E-T-A, decided to use this and make a massive billboard about milk causing autism, which just once again shows that Peter are absolute Mm. trash total total trash all the vegans i know also agree that peter are trash just saying that's so bad that's not a good look is it this where noble noble origins kind of can degenerate can't they yeah dairy does not cause any of these things that is my summation of this episode no if you want to have dairy go for it have it you know butter not butter though butter is the the dodgy cousin but you can even have that in moderation it, it just just really unhelpful nonsense information. Um, 
I'm happy that we've defended dairy because I think dairy needed defending. It contains some of the really good things in the world. Uh, but next week, next week we're going to just try and work out why we're even here. Why are these films so popular? And talk about some of the more general nonsense that they talk about uh, and try and really hammer home the fact that these films don't rely at all on facts. They rely on the very conveniently placed opinions of pseudo-experts. And, and we are, we, we're kind of sick of having to, to debunk and usually the same group of, of doctors and other people to try and protect people's health because they are 100% compromising it. Yeah, and there is a lot of fear, a lot of clever use of anecdotes and some just really, mm. really just drastic extreme views that shouldn't be given this much airtime oh god so much airtime i just no i don't want to anymore i don't want to play anymore i'm gonna take my bat my ball and go home but while i'm doing that please leave us a five-star rating because that's how people will find our podcast now the more five-star ratings that we get the more likely that we get pushed up the charts past celebrity chefs and other people who are just not at all qualified to be talking about health. So push us up the charts, give us some love, tell your friends, and that's how how they will find us. Now, if you have questions or comments, you can get in contact with us on email, inbadtastepodcast at gmail.com. We really, really like hearing from you. And of course, you can always come and see us on our socials. Pixie is at Pixie Nutrition and I am at Dr. Nikki Stamp. And as always, we will leave you some milky goodness with references and relevant links in the show notes. Right. So join us next week to find out why Salmonella is apparently 9-11 and why I think one of these doctors is basically Sauron. <laughs> join us next week. We'll see you then. Bye. mac and cheese it also makes me think of that episode of friends i was literally about to say that i've been watching friends like re-watching because it's on netflix at the moment oh my god it gives me all of the feelings all of the feelings and they're all good feelings uh, and that is a bloke by the name of dobbert <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what that is here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 